Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to a special episode of the Radiant Church Podcast. We've just wrapped up a short teaching series focusing on the nation of Israel and how important Israel and the Jewish people are to God and His salvation plan. You can catch these teachings online at our website, RadiantChurchSC.com, or the podcast platform that you listen to, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify. Um, However, one teaching you have not been able to catch up on is the one that you're going to hear today. We had a technical error, and we weren't able to record the first teaching in the series, and as luck would would have it, you know, the most requested message has been this first one. Many of you have asked about this teaching, and you've wanted to share it with people, and um, and probably more so than any other teaching in the series. And so we decided to go back and record this teaching in audio form, and that's what you're going to get here today. On October 7th, there were thousands of Hamas terrorists that unleashed the most brutal terror attacks that Israel has ever seen. Close to 1,500, and I think now the number has been downgraded by Israel to about 1,200. Um, but 1,200 Israelis were killed, and, and of course by now you've, you've seen pictures, and the, you've seen the videos, and heard the stories, and read about what's happened over there, and uh, it's, it's just it's mind-boggling um, and just horrific. Uh, the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians, it's always been in the background as long as most of us have been alive. Uh, in fact, most people assume, well, there's always going to be conflict between these two people groups. They just hate each other. They've always hated each other, and it's just going to be that way. Uh, there's a lot of strong opinions out there. Some of you listening are very pro-Palestinian, and some of you are, are of course, very pro-Israeli. Um, but there's also another group uh, that have just kind of downplayed or ignored the conflicts because, again, you just assumed, well, they're always going to fight. But this attack changed all of that, and it brought Israel into the spotlight in a way I I don't think I've seen in my short time here on this planet. Uh, And it's done a couple of things. One, for those who have strong opinions, uh, boy, they came out in earnest, and and we are definitely seeing that uh, play out right now. Um, I think, two... Uh, another thing that's, that's happened is for those who kind of downplayed everything and thought, well, they hate each other, always hate each other, it's just no big, it's just no big deal, we'll never solve the issues. I, I think that has changed. I think, I, think, I think that's really, for folks who've downplayed everything, the brutality, the attacks, I think it's changed hearts and minds of people um, in, in, in some way, shape, or form. Whether you've gone to the pro-Palestinian or pro-Israeli side, I, I, I can't say that, only you could say that, but nevertheless, you're not really sitting this one out. I would dare, you know, dare to say. So much information is out there. Not all of it is credible about Israel. You've seen the marches, the protests. You probably have questions yourself, especially if you're a Christian, right? Like, So you're probably saying, well, hey, why, why should I pay attention to what's happening in Israel? And what does it have to do with me? And what does it have to do with my faith? And you know, I just want to tell you, man, that Israel not only matters a great deal, um, but what could possibly play out in the Middle East has the potential to be historic on a biblical level. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to learn about um, Israel. Uh, we're going to learn about what Israel um, has accomplished with 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 uh, with God's salvation plan. We started with the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, we're at Genesis 15, where God uh, talks to Abraham and gives him this promise. Hey, you're going to have uh, an heir. You didn't have an heir yet. You're going to have an heir. 
Um, your heir is going to inherit the lands, the land that today is Israel. In fact, Israel doesn't even possess all the land right now that God has promised Abraham. Uh, and, and you're going to bless the nations uh, of the world. Now, how is he going to do that? That's going to come through Jesus and salvation. Uh, and from that comes other covenants, like the, like the Davidic covenant. And, that, and we, we'll get into all of that in our second teaching. Um, you can catch that online right now. And then, of course, you know, God has, he's, he's got plans for Israel in the future. There's, you know, when, when the Lord comes back and he establishes his kingdom, he doesn't wipe Israel away. Israel's not replaced. There's, a, there's, there's Jerusalem, guys. There's Jerusalem. And there is the Lord in what, what would be the land of Israel here today. And so, um, you know, Israel has a role all the way through to the end. And we talk about that in our week three teaching. Um, and we try to answer some questions throughout this series. Why did God choose Israel? Why do so many folks hate the Jews? I mean, if you think about it, um, no other people group throughout history has been targeted for utter annihilation, no matter where they've been. Egypt, Persia, Russia, Europe. Uh, I, I don't think that's coincidental, do you? I, I, it's not. And, and you're going to learn why in this teaching series. But maybe one of the most important questions that some of you are, are, are asking right now is, how does everything happening right now point to, you know, possible end times, apocalyptic type stuff. You know, a lot of Christians, they see anything with Israel and that, that's, that's where they go to right away. And again, we're going to answer that one for you in that week three teaching and, and do the best we can. And we paint a very broad brush with that. Uh, it, there's a lot we leave out because we just didn't have time to cover all kinds of things, but you can catch that in that week three teaching. Um, and, and if you listen to all three of these, you're going to see um, that how what happens to Israel affects you e even today. And you're going to see how God's plan and design for the Jewish people impacts uh, your life. And my hope is that when we're through, you're going to understand not only Israel and the Jewish people in a different light, but you're going to have a clearer picture of what who God is and, and, and his deep love for you. So before we scratch the surface on Israel and God's plan for the Jewish people, I think we should take the time to answer a very important question which is on the minds of so many folks in the wake of the terror attacks because they were just absolutely brutal. Um, as we learn more about the details, uh, this age-old question has kept resurfacing across social media feeds. My feed, I'm sure it's been across your feed, uh, and, and, and I'm sure it's happened in your circle of friends as well. And of course, that big question is this, how could God, if there is a God, right, how could he allow bad things, evil things, especially, to happen to innocent people. I mean, if there was a good God, wouldn't he stop all that? And as a pastor, that question is timeless. I've heard it asked over and over, and I've answered it like a thousand different ways, I feel like. Um, but over the over the last several weeks, as we're leading into this series, so throughout October into early November, I started to realize that perhaps that's not the right question to ask. You know, maybe a better question to ask is, are human beings capable of the kind of terror that we saw in Israel, all right? Like humanity is capable of sinning just fine on our own. Like we don't need the devil's help to do the wrong things. We, we don't. But decapitating infants, right? Uh, a few stories have come out that, that terrorists took infants who were alive and put them in ovens and turned the ovens on and walked out. Like that's a whole new ball game right there. Can a human being stoop to that kind of evil entirely on their own? Or does this kind of evil stem from a deeper and more sinister influence? So if there is real evil, then something must exist to counter that evil. 
I mean, you have to accept the premise evil exists first, right? And if you can do that, then let's talk about what could counter it. St. Augustine, in his own spiritual journey to faith in Christ, he shared how the very existence of evil is what led him to believe there must be good in the world to counteract it. And he said, well, if there is good, there must be a source for that good. And for St. Augustine, he concluded that good was, was God. It's much easier, I think, to believe in the existence of a good God than it is to admit that there is an evil enemy that we call the devil. I, I don't hear a lot of teachings on the devil these days. I don't know, do you? And yet we have this spiritual enemy at work in our world. Like, how can we combat him and his influences if we don't even know who he is? It's kind of that age-old military saying that you can't fight a faceless enemy. I think humanity can be capable of doing a lot of numerous evil acts all on their own. Again, you don't need like the devil's help to do it. But there is a real devil who can influence mankind to operate on an entirely different level of evil. So who is he? And is he like what we see in films like, you know, The Exorcist? And he's spewing out, you know, green vomit and head spinning and all that kind of... Is he like, is that, was that what he's like, you know? Um, how, how does he operate? Uh, if, if he is evil, isn't he like easily recognizable? Like, wouldn't we know evil when we see it and know this, you know, the devil when we see it? Like, it, isn't that how he kind of works? So let's start with this first question. Who is the devil um, and, and where, where did he come from? So Satan was once an angel. In fact, Satan's not even his real name. It's actually Lucifer. Uh, by all accounts, he was one of the most prominent, beautiful angels that God ever created. Uh, he's referred to at times in Scripture as the morning star. In fact, I want you to listen to the description that Ezekiel gives. This is Ezekiel 28, 13. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite and beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue-green barrel, onyx, green jasper, blue lapis lazuli, turquoise, and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold, and they were given to you on the day you were created. Verse number 14. I ordained you, and I anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created, look at this, until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. And so I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all of your beauty and your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So Lucifer was magnificent, but notice that God says his heart became filled with pride. Isaiah 14 captures it pretty well. Uh, Isaiah 14, verse number 12. How you're fallen from heaven, O shining star, sun in the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroy the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I'll preside over the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Notice all the I will statements that Lucifer you know, is, 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 makes is attributed to him. He desires to be like God. And so Jesus states throughout the gospel how he wants 
God's will to be done. Hey, not my will in the Garden of Eden or Gethsemane. I'm sorry. Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. Hey, not my will be done, but your will, right? But Lucifer, man, he is hell bent on his will being done. And both in Ezekiel and Isaiah's accounts, there's an implicit rebellion which God defeats. Lucifer's desire to be like God puts him at odds with God. Obviously, he, there's a conflict which brews, right? And, and it's kind of in between the lines of those passages. But Revelation, well, Re Revelation gives you a picture of what that fight looked like. Re Revelation 12, verse number 7. Then there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon here is the, is the devil and his, and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. And this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. This is not a future event. This is this has already happened. So Revelation is inserting a flashback, okay? Lucifer failed to lead a rebellion against God. And as a result, he's cast down to earth, okay? He takes a third of the angels with him uh, because a third joined in his rebellion. And we get that number from Revelation 12, 4, where we read that the, that the dragon swept a third of the stars. Remember stars, referencing to angels here and threw them to earth. So why am I taking the time to, to walk you through this? Well, because there's a lot of incorrect teaching out there about the devil. He is not just a force for evil, you know, some kind of bad juju energy or whatever. Like he's a personal created being. He's an angel, but he's not equal with God. And that has to be very clear. He and God are not partners. They're not equal opposites. You know, in fact, he has, he has limits. Job 1.6 tells us this, the heavenly court, meaning the angels, came to present themselves to God and Satan was with them. So Satan still has to give an account to God, just as all the other angels do, even though he's at odds with God. And what that means is that his power is limited. He does not have omnipotent cosmic power like Aladdin's genie, right? He doesn't have that kind of thing. So notice too, in his defeat, he's cast to earth. So Satan is not in hell, all right? He's not the king of hell. <laughs> he's, he's here on planet Earth, all right? Um, he, he's active. He doesn't operate in obvious ways all the time. There are times when evil is very clear and very present. But if you pay attention to how he operates in Scripture, you realize the devil is very clever, you know, almost subtly clever. He tells mostly true statements. In the Garden of Eden, he tells Eve, you know, they're, they're, they, they got the fruit there by the tree, and he's, he's trying to get her to eat it. And she says, I can't do it, because if I eat from this fruit, I'll die. And what does he say? He says, oh, you won't die, right? You won't die if you eat the fruit, because God knows that if you eat it, you'll be like him, and your eyes will be open, which is true, right? They would be like God. They would know good from evil. They wouldn't know right from wrong. They could discern between the two. The lie here was that they wouldn't die. Of course they would die. God said you would die. When he's tempting Jesus, he quotes the word of God. He goes, hey, Bible says if you throw yourself off this big height, the angels will come and protect you. And what does Christ do? He overcomes this temptation by saying, well, the word of God also says not to test the Lord like this. So Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, he, he states this, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Even Satan disguises himself as a what? As an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. There's a lot packed into this. 
it's not just Satan, but it's also his his demons, right? Which carry out spiritual attacks in manners which appear right and harmless on the surface, but can lead to far greater consequences later on. And it's another great reminder that that I mean, just honestly, being good is not enough. And I know we want to be good enough. And I know it's hard because you're like, well, I'm a good person. I do good things. Why can't that be enough? That makes sense to me. I get that. But you know, the enemy's good too. He can do some good things. He, I mean, Paul puts it right there. He disguised himself as an angel of light. The demons disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Why do you think there are so many folks, clergy, missionaries, prominent Christians, People we don't know about who are wonderful people who have epic fails, who have these big falls. And I could go to a whole other message based on, uh, you know, on those events. But, but, what, but why do they have this fall? Well, because, because evil can easily disguise itself as good and can do pretty good things most of the time. Right? I mean, it, 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 you can be a sheep or a wolf in sheep's clothing. You can do that kind of thing. It's not enough just to know Scripture. The devil knows Scripture. He was there when a lot of it was written. He was there when a lot of those things were happening. He knows it better than you know it. He can quote it right to you. So it's not enough to have knowledge. It's not enough just, just, just to be good. You're not any better than he is. And this is why we need Jesus, right? We need Christ and his salvation and what he brings to us. But that's how Satan and his enemies came about. So that's how they operate in the world. Um, they're, 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 they're very evil. They are the authors of all the, that's evil, but not every bad and evil thing is the result of the devil, right? So there's not a demon under every rock and tree. Someone might be hangry. <laughs> so you should get a cheeseburger and you'll, you'll be okay. Right. Uh, there's just, there's just, you don't want to over spiritualize every single thing. Uh, we can be bad by ourselves, but there is real evil. And certainly that can be attributed to demonic influences. Here's what I want to do real quick today before we kind of wrap up. Uh, I want to give you four tactics that Satan and his demons use in this world. Then I want to come back and, and give you some tips and strategies on how we can, we can combat what he does. So uh, first, Satan and his demons, they can influence leaders and nations. They influence leaders and nations. Think about it for a moment. If you're going to exert, you know, influence that can impact the largest amount of people possible, where do you start? Do you start in a little place like where I live, uh, a little town where I live that has no stop sign, no stoplight, maybe 600 people <laughs> that live there? Probably not, right? Uh, you're going to look for uh, a, a, a city, an area with high, uh, enormous influence and potential. You're going to look for uh, you know leaders who have enormous influence. That makes sense, right? Can I tell you, I have friends uh, on both sides of the political aisle in D.C., Democrats and Republicans who work in D.C., their chiefs of staff in, on, on Capitol Hill. They've, they've worked in the White House, a lot of really great guys. And can I tell you that both of them tell me the exact same thing? They say, hey, can you pray for us? Pray for us. Why? Because whether you're Democrat or Republican, uh, you can still serve Jesus. I know that's hard to believe. I mean, you can't be a Democrat and serve God. You can't be a Republican and serve Jesus. Yes, you can. You can be a D or an R. It doesn't matter. And on both sides, I have friends who are followers of Christ, and they'll say the same kind of thing. Can you pray for us? And it matters because they can feel it. I'm telling you, they can feel it up there. They sense it. 
I, I, I believe it. They'll tell you they believe it. There are more dark demonic influences and activity around our nation's capital than probably anywhere else in the world. America, for all its faults, maybe it's in decline. I don't know. But we still hold influence and sway. And as we go, the world still goes right now. And so you better believe there's a lot of spiritual activity up that way. In Daniel chapter 10, we read that Daniel's waiting for God to respond uh, to, to a prayer that he has. And he, he's been waiting for three weeks to get his response. And finally, he gets a response from an angel who appears. And he tells Daniel, hey, your prayer was answered on day number one, but I ran into a problem trying to get the answer to you. Here's what he says in verse 13. For 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. And then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. So behind the scenes in the spirit realm, there are intense conflicts being fought between angels and demons over, over leaders and nations. How can we have the horrible events that occurred in Israel in October? Well, because there's demonic forces, man, that greatly influenced the Hamas leadership and terrorists to commit those atrocities. Why do we have genocide today in China and against the Armenians in Azerbaijan? Well, because there's demonic forces influencing nations and leaders. They're active in this world in that manner. Uh, number two, Satan's demons, they inflict suffering. They inflict suffering. Not every sickness is the result of demonic influence. Okay, uh, But we do live in a world tainted by sin, and the result of that sin is suffering. But sickness and disease can certainly be inflicted on individuals from demonic entities. In Matthew 17, we get a picture of this. Matthew 17, verse 15, there's a father who brings his son to Jesus, and he says this. He says, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures, and he suffers terribly, and he often falls into the fire or into the water. Uh, other other gospels uh, will say that the spirit throws him into the fire of the water. Jesus said, "You faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you, and how long must I put up with you?" And that's kind of an odd response. Why does he say that? He's he's speaking here to his his followers, his disciples, his apostles, who have witnessed all these miracles, and yet they still don't fully believe in him just yet, and they really won't until after he rises from the dead. Bring the boy here to me. And then Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy, and it left him, and from that moment, the boy was well. Satan and his demons don't just oppose God, they oppose all of his creation. They're intent to destroy what God has called good. But Jesus confronts the demonic spirit here, and he casts him out, bringing complete healing to this little kid. And if these dark spiritual forces will try to destroy the life of that kid, what do you think they would want to do to you? They're not your friends. There are no spirit guides that are here to help you, okay? These forces are real, and they're dangerous, and they don't just want to inflict suffering on you. They also want to lure you away from God. That's the third thing they do. They want to lure you away from God. I really believe that demons study people. You want to get a great book. It's, it's completely fiction, but but it's, it's a weird fiction because it almost... It's like, okay, I can see, there's a lot of truth I can see coming out of this thing. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a great, great book called The Screw Tape Letters. You want to get a great uh, feel of what perhaps it might be like um, in that spiritual realm uh, during conflict. You want to read that book. I believe demons study people. I mean, think about it. They know your weaknesses. They'll do anything they can to lure you away from the heart of God into a pathway of, of destruction and despair and desolation. Whether it's materialism, whether it's 
intellectualism which conflicts with God's truth. That's pretty important because there's nothing against being intellectual. But you don't want to be in conflict with the truth about God and his word, right? Whether it's spiritual enlightenment, well, you know, I can reach nirvana or this state of peace or whatever it is. No, they'll use whatever they can to take you away from the heart of God. Uh, right into Timothy, Paul says this, Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.1. He says, now the Holy Spirit tells us very clearly that in the last times, which is the era we're in you know, today. We've been in this era, by the way, since Christ returned back to the Father. So um, in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith and they'll follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. What are Satan and his demons uh, doing in the lead up to Christ's return? They're influencing people, they're inflicting suffering, but they're deceiving many in the attempt to get them to wander away from the heart of God. So remember, a hallmark of Satan's activity is the ability to twist the truth and to give mostly true statements and throw in that one lie so you will bite hook, line, and sinker like a fish grabbing hold of a lure. And that's hard. It's hard to, especially in our culture with so many things that are out there right now that, that we want to feel very strongly about, it's hard for us to buy into all the truth that God has when it conflicts with the culture that we're a part of. And I could give you a thousand examples of this right now. But here, here's what I'll, I'll say about this. When it comes to the culture and that we're living in, and the truth of God's word, you you have to be careful. You cannot change what God says because of different cultural norms that you would want to accept. You can't do that. Um, you have to have truth, and you have to have grace. Jesus had both, by the way. But you cannot change truth. And it's very easy in this environment right now, and I see a lot of Christians in a lot of churches that are falling victim to this. It's very easy in the environment we're in right now to try to fit Scripture, the truth that God has, into some cultural norms we want to accept that are in conflict right now so that we feel better about ourselves, we feel better about the world around us. We cannot change the truth of God's Word. We have to be very careful about doing that. Any attempt to change the truth um, no matter what guise you want to change it, whether it's culture, whatever it is, you need to be careful with that. That's not coming from the Spirit of God. That's a, an influence and a prompting coming from the enemy, not the Lord. You combat deception by staying anchored in the truth of God. Uh, you learn from Christ's own temptation. He defeated the devil's attempts to lure him away, to get him off mission by standing firmly in the truth found in God's word, he didn't budge and didn't move. And we have to do that um, in, in, in what we're seeing and facing today in our cultural environment as well. Last one, Satan's demons, they paralyze you with fear. They paralyze you with fear. They want you to walk through this life afraid, worried, in agony, with anxiety. Man, some of you right now, like you're worried about your kids, you're worried about school, you're paralyzed with fear about you know your health or the health of somebody you care about. You're worried about what might happen tomorrow or what might happen now with all that's going on in the world today um, and what it can mean for us. Like you're, you're, just, you're just paralyzed with fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. A spirit of fear is very real, but it's not a spirit which comes from God. 
Satan and his demons want to destroy everything God's made. Man, they hate you. They despise you. They want to take you out. Trust me. So how do we battle against the real devil? Well, let me just give you three strategies very quickly on how you can defeat and battle the enemy. I think first, you take him seriously. Take Satan seriously. Never take your enemy lightly. Always take him seriously. Jude, uh, Jude, Jude 9 has this great scene. Uh, Jude 9 says this, But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, The Lord rebuke you. And this took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. Michael is perhaps the most powerful of all God's angels. He's the one who leads uh, God's angels into victory when the enemy is rebelling against the Lord in heaven, right? And yet he doesn't trash talk Satan here. He doesn't try to engage with the devil, give me your name. Like He doesn't do that kind of stuff. He simply rebukes him and he says, the battle is the Lord's. Man, can I just tell you, you aren't fighting. This is God who's fighting. It's the Lord who wins and gives the victory, right? Like we, we, don't, we don't fight in our own power. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but we don't fight in our own power. Uh, we fight with the Lord. The Lord is the one who takes the enemy on. He's the one who secures victory. But you have to take your enemy seriously, man. Don't take him lightly. There's a great story in Acts 9. I love this story. It's about these guys who are called the seven sons of Sceva. Boy, say that like 10 times fast. They thought they could cast out demons in the name of Jesus without actually following him. So they find this demonic-possessed guy, and they tell the demon to come out. Right? You know, and uh, what they do is they, they think it's like a formula, right? So they, they find this guy, hey, come out in the name of Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches. And the demon who's speaking through the man, he says this, well, I know Jesus, which makes sense. He's the son of God. Like, we know him. I know Jesus. I know Paul. Also makes sense. You know, Paul's been doing a lot of great things to the Lord, planting churches. Very, you know, he's been he's been all across the Roman Empire. Right? Paul's been moving and grooving for, for God. But he goes, but who are you? <laughs> I know Jesus. I know Paul. Who are you? This possessed guy beats all seven of these dudes up so bad, they leave naked and bleeding, right? Uh, listen, take the devil seriously. Don't try to confront evil without the power of God's Holy Spirit. That's really what's missing from this story. And I think one of the takeaways from the story too is, uh, boy, when you live for the Lord and you serve out the purpose God has for your life, make a difference in other people's lives, uh, the enemy takes notice of who you are and he puts a target on your back, okay? Uh, two, two, don't play with darkness. Don't play with darkness. As a kid, maybe you played, you know, the Bloody Mary game. You know, you kind of went into the bathroom. It's so stupid. <laughs> you went into the bathroom, you know, the water was thrown into the sink, and you said, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, how many times you said it? Or if you're if you're older, this is not my generation, but if you're older, if you're a boomer, maybe in Gen X, I don't know, you played light as a feather, stiff as a board. Remember that? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, some of you guys, you had Ouija boards. It was like, you know, hey, you're moving it. No, man, you're moving it. Hey, here, 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 here's the thing. All that sounds like harmless fun. Like, it really does. I get it. But I can tell you this. I am not touching that kind of stuff with a 10-foot pole. You don't mess around with tarot readings, horoscopes, astrology. Don't mess with any of that stuff. Why? Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12. Uh, the Lord's speaking here. He says, for example, this is before they're going into the Lamb. Let me put some context here before I read it. 
before they go into Israel, they're going in the promised land and Moses is giving the people, this new generation, the law. That's what Deuteronomy really means. It's repetition. And so he's, he's giving the law again and he's giving God's instructions again to the people of what they should do when they go into the land. And so Moses is, is, is handing this out to the people and he says this, for example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. And do not let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord will drive them out ahead of you. I want you to notice a few things here. One, God includes these prohibitions following a statement to never sacrifice your children as an offering. Child sacrifice was happening in Canaan and the ancient world. And you think it was horrific what Hamas did to the Israeli children. Boy, there were entire people groups in ancient uh, history who belonged to these cults, Moloch and Baal and Astra, and they would, willing, they would willingly sacrifice their own kids. They would burn them alive. You know, if you had a great battle that you were going out to fight and you want to make sure the gods were on your side, the gods might ask, hey, we need the uh, oldest daughter, you know, you <laughs> offer her up to us and we'll guarantee victory, you know. And so the priest would sacrifice your oldest kid, you know. I mean, these cults were everywhere. And what they would do, especially for a god like Molech, Molech was a statue with outstretched arms and, um, and, and you would place... Uh, 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 the, the child, the infant, the baby, the small kid, in these arms of this idol. And there was a furnace in the belly of the idol, and, and, and the furnace would, would heat, and the whole thing would be so hot. Um, and we would, you would place the kid in its arms, and that's how the child would, would die. It would burn to death, and there would be chanting, and drums would be uh, to drown out the screams of this kid who was being sacrificed. And God says, you know what? Don't do that when you go onto the land. In fact, that's one of the reasons why God is driving out these people groups that are in the land that he had promised to give Israel. He says, don't do that. All right? And he attaches these prohibitions of, hey, don't practice witchcraft and spells and don't have psychics. He attaches those prohibitions to this practice of child sacrifice to demonstrate that what you might think of as harmless is evil and has its roots in some really terrible, awful things. And so it's the real deal. Ouija boards are not a game. Tarot readings are not exactly phony. I know there are phony folks who are out there. And, and you might be someone who's listening today. You're like, man, pastor, like I'm not in on any of this stuff. This is all kind of like mumbo jumbo. And you can have that belief. But the Lord prohibit, he, he, he prohibits this stuff because it's real. I think Satan would like you to be in one of two camps. Either, either you obsess over him and, and his spiritual demonic forces to a very unhealthy degree, right? Or you fall into the camp of, I believe it's mumbo-jumbo. I don't accept it. None of it's real. I think he'd prefer that that camp more than anything because then he can do what he wants to do and operate how he wants to operate, and you know he'll never he'll, he'll never view you as a threat because you're eliminating him as a possibility. Well, I can explain everything logically. 
I am probably, the, of all the pastor friends and folks I know in ministry, I think I'm the most logical <laughs> one of the bunch. Um, to me, I, I explain everything as best I can. I'm very rational. Uh, I, I, I probably do it to, to, I probably shouldn't do as much as I do, to be honest with you. But I, I've seen people over-spiritualize things way too much and abuse things. And so I'm very logical and rational in how I operate and how I think and how I do things. And I'm telling you that I've had my own experiences, uh, which could be another podcast for another time. But I've had my own experiences with demonic forces. I wish I had them with angelic forces. That'd be a whole lot better and happier and pleasing. But I've, I've had them with the other side here. I've had them with darkness. And if I hadn't had those experiences, I probably would would be, even as a pastor, I'd probably be in the camp and be like, well, you know, I, I don't know. Like I, the Bible says it, so I'll believe it. I'm not so sure. But I've experienced it for myself. And I'm just telling you, um, you want to leave that stuff alone. Don't mess with these things. It's real. Leave it alone. Walk away from it. Uh, we take Satan seriously. We don't play with darkness. And we fight with God's power. We fight with God's power. Now, we never fight spiritual battles on our own. We fight them with the authority and the power of God. So in Matthew 10, Jesus gives his followers the authority to cast out demons and heal sickness. And he doesn't give them actual divine power. He gave them the authority to do these things. Uh, This is very key here. They're not operating in their power. They're operating in God's power. There's a big difference. If I go out, our, our church is off of Highway 123, right outside of, right between Clemson and Seneca. If I go out in 123 and I hold my hands up to stop traffic, um, people might avoid hitting me because they're nice, <laughs> right? Um, but they're going to whiz right past me because I have no authority, no authority to do it. Now, if I go out there and I wear a uniform and I put a badge on, what do those cars do? They slow to a complete stop, not because I have power, by the way, but because I have authority. The government has the power, but I have the authority as a member of the government's power to stop the traffic. So when we engage in spiritual warfare, we're not fighting in our power, we're fighting with the authority given to us from Jesus to operate in the power that comes from his Holy Spirit. The battle is real. The devil is real. Evil is real. Don't take it lightly. Take it seriously. Okay. And, 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 and don't play with that darkness, man. Fight with the power of God and the authority that God has given you. It's much easier for, for people to believe in a, a good God than to acknowledge real evil and that a real devil exists. But he does exist. And this enemy wants to destroy your marriage and your kids and your life. And as we're going to see next, you know, well, as you see in, in, in week number two and number three teachings in this series, uh, he, he wants to destroy Israel and the Jewish people as well. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to rob you of your God-given purpose. Um, these demonic forces, they want to utterly and completely wipe you out. But you can overcome every attack they spring on you. And here's how you do it. James 4, 7, 8 says this. Humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Hmm. When you submit yourself to God. And when you say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. My heart, my soul. My family, everything is yours. 
Forgive me of my sin. Make me like you. I'm committing myself to following you with all my heart from this day forward. When you do that, you've actually chosen a side here in this spiritual conflict. You've chosen to follow God. You know, a lot of folks think that, you know, oh, well, you know, God's on our side today. God's not on anybody's side. The question is, are you on God's side or not? And when you choose to follow him, you've chosen to be with him. And when that happens, he places his Holy Spirit within you. And now you have purpose. And now you have freedom. And now you have authority and power that's not your own. It belongs to God. And you have that to also defeat the enemy and darkness that's around you. Now, we're going to tackle Israel in the second teaching. You can, you can Again, you can watch and listen to that on our, on our website, on our podcast here. Um, but we strongly felt that we need to start this teaching series off with this talk about evil and the devil um, because there's real evil in this world and, and, and but there's also a real God who loves and cares for you who gives you victory over evil and over the enemy you know, the devil has no place in your life he can't destroy you he can't rob you he can't harm you as long as you're walking in the power and presence and authority of God Almighty and so I hope today uh, that you'll make that decision if you haven't done it yet, and say yes to Jesus. Follow the Lord. It's a very simple process. All you have to do is just simply say a, a, a prayer that goes like this. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Sorry for what I've done against you. I, I know that I've violated your standards. I know, I know that, man, I've definitely done things you're not proud of, I'm not proud of, and I'm here today to tell you, God, I, I, I need you to save me. I can't save myself. I, I, my life, I, I need to hit the reset button. I need, I need to find meaning. There's something here in my life I'm missing, and I haven't put my finger on it. But today, I've, I, I think this is you. I think what I'm missing is you. So today, I'm asking, will you save me? And, and from this day forward, I'm going to do everything I can to follow you with all my heart and all my soul. I'm going to serve you as best I can. I'm going to serve you, God, with everything I have. Will you be the Lord of my life? I've tried to live my own way, and it hasn't worked out. I've tried leading my own way, and that hasn't worked out either. So will you lead me and guide me in the way that I need to go? Thank you for saving me. Thank you for being my Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening here today. Hope you guys have an amazing rest of your week. And uh, the way we're recording right now, it's almost Christmas season. If you are in the Seneca Clemson area, man, and uh, you're looking for a place to connect, you got questions about God, you're not sure kind of where all where you fit in this in this spiritual journey. Hey, we'd love to have you come and just check us out, man. It's coming to Radiant Church right here in Seneca, one one zero seven five Watson Drive in Seneca about 10 minutes from Clemson University, and we'd love to connect with you and uh, help you uh, connect. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.